Well, the month of November, we're going to focus in on one chapter. Take your Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 51. As a matter of fact, I also want you to take out your worship guide, and in your worship guide, you have two things inserted in your worship guide. The very first thing that you have in your worship guide, you have Psalm 51. There's only 19 verses in Psalm 51. So, last month, we read a chapter, a different chapter every day. So, here's the challenge for the month of November. I want you to read Psalm 51, all 19 verses every day. So, let me ask you, do you think you can read 19 verses every day? Oh, y'all can do better. Can we read 19 verses a day? All right, here's the second thing. Every time you sin in the month of November, I want you to read Psalm 19. Not Psalm 19, Psalm 51. Why say 19? Where in the world did that come from? Because there's 19 verses. Thank you, Amy, for helping me. So every time you sin, I want you to read Proverbs. Proverbs. <laughs> Psalms 51. <laughs> oh, nothing like messing up in front of all of y'all. No. Read Psalms 51, all 19 verses every day. And every time you sin, somebody's going to read it before the hour's over, aren't you? I want, hey, everybody look right here. This is, this, is my, this is my prayer and my heart's desire for us in November. By the end of November, that you have the entire chapter of Psalms 51 memorized. Some of you, I could stand up here and you could quote an entire chapter by memory easy. Some of you, you would absolutely pass out if I put a microphone in front of you and said, can you quote two scriptures by memory? I mean, I mean, it would be off the meter scary for you. But I believe if you read Psalm 51, all 19 verses every day, and you ask God to teach them to you, I think this month you can memorize for some of you for the very first time an entire chapter in the Bible. Will you take that challenge? Are you with me? Why do we need to learn Psalm 51? I, I, I really titled it big, Area 51. How many of y'all have ever been to Nevada before? Y'all have ever been to Nevada? Well, what do they have in Nevada? We have that, we got the military base, and it's known as a military base. It's known as Area 51. As a matter of fact, you can Google it, and you can look it up, and Poplar Mechanics and all these different things tell you about that region of Area 51, and it'll show the, the military base, Area 51. You can get a bit of big aerial view of it, or it'll show you a picture if when you get close to it, there's big warning signs warning you if you pass this point. As a matter of fact, there's a section of that military base, Area 51, they don't even have a gate. 
But they do have sensors. As a matter of fact, they will tell you, the military on the area of Area 51, they know every single thing that is moving. They know everything that is coming and going. They know everything because that's our secret base where we're testing all of our new technology, all the stealth technology. It's all the kind of the area of moving us forward in the military. Area 51, several summers ago, we spent a month as a family. We traveled all out west, and there's a town located near that. You know, it's the, the town. Everything is aliens in the town. I mean, we even went to McDonald's, and I mean, the playground is all aliens that you can play upon. I mean, it is just, it is the craziest thing. But in Area 51, they know everything that's going on, everything that is coming and going and moving. All right, let's get close. Here's what I want. I want in the month of November, as we study Psalms 51, I want us, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, knowing everything that is coming and going in our life. I want us to be able to have a great pattern of what's coming and going in our life. What are we thinking about? How are we stepping? Are we doing what's right? Look how, let's look at it. Look at these first three verses, and this is your handout. I want you to mark on it, take notes on it. I, I want you to read this every day, and every time that you sin, you're going to read this. I mean, you, this is yours for the month to keep. Look at verse number one. Verse number one, does it start, does David start this psalm? As a matter of fact, we know that David wrote at least 73 psalms in the book of Psalms. We know all historians and biblical scholars will tell you, we know for sure David wrote 73 of the Psalms, maybe even more than that, but for sure 73. And as David is writing Psalms 51, he is not writing this demanding anything. Would y'all not agree? We live in a society that is demanding a lot. You don't see David as he begins Psalms 51. You don't see him demanding his rights. I mean, we've got people marching all the time. This is my rights, and I can do this. And Look how David starts Psalm 51. Not demanding justice, not demanding his rights. Look how David starts it. Have Mercy upon me, O God. There's a big difference entering into the presence of God, demanding our rights and demanding justice, and entering into the presence of God, saying, God, have mercy on me. How many of you today need the mercy of God? Yeah. Have mercy on me, God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Will you mark that word transgressions? Circle or underline. Mark that word transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Mark that word iniquity. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity 
and cleanse me from my sin. Will you mark that word sin? David said, have mercy on me. Look at the three words I have you mark. Transgressions, iniquity, sin. Look at verse number three, and this is powerful. It's very personal. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. My sin is always staring me down. Some of you in this ring, including me, we have some sin that is always staring us down. Look at verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now, what is David talking about? Saying, God, have mercy on my soul. Transgressions, iniquity, sin. I mean, here is David. Most of us in our culture, even a, a lost culture, will know about something about David. Let me give you a little background about David. David is, write these couple of things down. We know that David is the youngest of six with Jesse. Jesse is his daddy. The mother is never mentioned. We don't know the mom's name, but we know that David's father is Jesse, and he is the youngest of the six. What do we know about Jesse? We know that Jesse was just a good old country boy. He was a farmer. He was taking care of the animals. So when you think about David in your mind, I don't want you to think about David in your mind, that David came from some prestigious family, that David come, came from some powerful family, that David came from, I mean, just the elite. Can I tell you, David was the youngest of six, and he was just born a good old country boy. I mean, if you would have seen David, he was out taking care of his father's animals. If we know about David, you wouldn't have seen David all primped up and all nice up. I mean, David would just been in a good old country boy clothes. What do we know about David? He was the youngest of those six of the sons of Jesse. Second thing we know about uh, David, we know that David was a warrior. Right next to the warrior, will you just write down 1 Samuel Chapter 17, we know, who, who does, who's the very first battle that David has? David and who? Goliath. Hey, wouldn't you like to have been there at that moment? I, I tell you what, when Amy and I were in Israel last time, and when we'd take another trip, several people asked me when we're going again, we'll work that out. But you, could, you can go in the very place where David picked up the five smooth stones. As a matter of fact, Amy and I have been right there in that place where we, 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 we've picked up those five smooth stones. We know that David picked up five smooth stones. Why five smooth stones? Because he's about to face Goliath. But remember, they put all, the, all of the armor and all the stuff on him. And remember, he's just a little old guy. And what did he do? It just about put him under. He couldn't hold all that stuff. So instead, he went to war with five smooth stones, and we know what happened. What happened to Goliath? He fell over, cut his head off. He was a warrior. But I got a question. Why was David not allowed to build the temple? 
because he's a warrior, has so much blood on his hands. So what do we know about David? We know his father's Jesse. We know about David. We know he's a warrior. Right, this third thing, what do we know about David? He was a great musician. I mean, what instrument did David play? He played the harp. I mean, he was incredible playing the harp. He was a great musician. That's why when we read these 73 Psalms that he did, I mean, so many are absolutely beautiful. They're beautifully written. I mean, the Holy Spirit's leading us, but it's all about who he is. Who did David play the harp for all the time, though? King Saul. Remember King Saul's heart was all turbulent and all that kind of stuff. And what would he do? They would bring David in and David would play the harp. He would sing just as smooth his soul. What else we know about David? We know the Bible says he is a man after what? God's own heart. Hey, how many other people in the Bible does it say that about? How many other people in the Bible do you read that that, that person is a man after God's own heart. How many other people is it said about besides David? Zero. Nobody else in the Bible does it say except David that he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because God chose him and God was using him for a very clear purpose. Jesse, country boy, warrior, musician. Man after God's own heart. What else do we know about David? David was a great sinner. How do we know that David was a great sinner? Well, the scripture tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And if you want to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, you can kind of follow along. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse number 1, it tells us, that it was time of the year that the kings were to go to battle. It was the time of the year that the kings were supposed to be at battle, but instead of being at battle, where was David? David was at home. David's life was being at ease. He was just resting in the palace. Can I tell you, David was not where he was supposed to be. Shredded. When we're not where we're supposed to be, where God wants us to be, it shreds us. Because David wasn't where he's supposed to be. What does 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 2 tells us? It tells us that David was on the roof. And it was nighttime and he was walking around the roof. Then all of a sudden he's on top of the roof. All of a sudden something got his attention. All of a sudden, he's on the rooftop, and he's looking around. All of a sudden, he sees a lady is taking a bath, and she is beautiful. Somebody tell me, what is her name? Her name is who? Bathsheba is there. She's taking a bath. David wasn't where he's supposed to be. And David, as he's walking on the rooftop, he did not have bouncing eyes. His eyes did not bounce off of that situation. Instead of bouncing his eyes he stared. And because he stared, and because he was not where he's supposed to be, shredded. 
What did David do? He really liked her. She was absolutely beautiful. So 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 4 says, what did he do? He didn't, hey, hey, God, forgive me for lusting. Forgive me. She is married to Uriah the Hittite. I've got him at battle where I'm supposed to be. Hey, God, forgive me for looking. Forgive me for staring. God, I'm not going back there. What did he do instead? 2 Samuel 11, verse 4, what did he do? David went and sent some messengers and said, hey, will you go get that lady? Shredded. The messengers go get that lady and Bathsheba comes and makes the visit. 2 Samuel 11, verse 5. He hears four words. Hey, David. I'm with child. Have you ever had that moment when you weren't where you're supposed to be? Instead of having bouncing eyes, you had staring eyes. And you know, staring eyes, all of a sudden, it took you to a place that you had never thought you would go. Shredded. So what does David do? Second Samuel 11, verse number 6, he said, you know what? Let's go get Uriah the Hittite from the battlefield. Uriah the Hittite is where I should be, but I'm not there. I'm taking it easy. And now, now I've made a mess of this, and now my sin, now I've got, another, I've got his wife pregnant. Let's go get him. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse number 8. Uriah comes to see the king. Hey, hey, Uriah, why don't you go down and, and go down to your house. I brought you back from the battlefield. I know it's been a while since you've been with your wife. Won't you clean yourself up? As a matter of fact, David even sent food down there. David sent something for them to drink. I mean, David set the setting up. Ron, go down to the house. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 10. Ron did not go down to the house. Uriah said, how can the men be over here fighting in battle? And how can these guys be fighting the battle and doing what they're supposed to be doing? There is no way that I can go home and sleep with my wife and be with my wife when these guys are all in the battlefield. Ryan didn't go down to the house. So you know what David did? David said, you know what? Why don't you come? And, and David laid out a spread of food for him. He fed him and started giving him something to drink and, until Uriah got drunk, thinking now he's drunk. Now, he, he kept it one more day. Say, now he'll go back down to his house. Uriah didn't go to the house. David thought, what am I going to do? I want everybody to look at me. Sin will take you places and have you do things you can never imagine. None of us are above sin. None of us need to say in this room, man, I will never do that. 
what did David do? I've got a problem. Bathsheba's pregnant. How am I going to do this? Uriah wouldn't go down. So he sent to Joab on the battlefield, said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put Uriah the Hittite. I want you to put him in the hottest part of the battle. And here's what I want you to do. I want everybody else to retreat back. 2 Samuel 11, verse 15. He said, I want you to put him in the worst place, and I want you to back back. But I want you to see this. Not only did it hurt Uriah the Hittite, but when you look at that scripture and look at all of verse 15, you look at it in context, and it said that many others were also killed. We always think about it was just Uriah the Hittite that was put in the battlefield and it just affected him. Can I tell you, it just didn't affect him. It affected people around him. What happened to Uriah the Hittite? He what? He what? Died. Shredded. Well, what does the Lord think about it? Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27, the scripture is really clear. And it said, and it displeased the Lord. Is there ever a time that our sin and our disobedience to a holy, righteous God, will our sin ever please the Lord? What does the devil do for you? This last week, the devil said, hey, that's not that big a deal. Go ahead and do it. One of the devil lied to you this last week. Some of you sitting in this room, you're having an affair on your spouse, and your spouse doesn't even know it, and you're sitting in this room, your heart's going a million miles an hour. Can I tell you, the devil's telling you, nobody else is going to get hurt. Nobody's going to know about it. Can I tell you, that is straight from the pit of hell. Our sin hurts people around us. It displeased the Lord. Shredded. What happens? Second Samuel chapter 12, the verse seven verses. Now God calls the preacher man. Mr. Nathan. Mr. Nathan, the preacher man, he has the responsibility to go tell the king what the king's done. So Nathan just doesn't go in there and say, this is what you have done. He goes in there and tells the story. He tells a story about a, a poor man. He has one lamb, and that one little lamb, they nurture him, they love him. He eats at the dinner table with him. I mean, he is the pet. He sleeps in the bed with him. I mean, he is their, that's what they got. Then he tells a story about the rich man. The rich man has all kinds. He has all kinds of animals. He has all kinds of stuff. Whatever he wanted, he had. Then, and Nathan tells the story. Say so a traveler came by, and the rich man, and they needed to feed this traveler. The rich man didn't go out and get one of his own animals, didn't go out from his own wealth. Guess what he did? He went, it tells us, that the rich man goes to the poor man who only had one who ate at the table, who was a family pet, who they absolutely loved so much, and they, they took it from the poor man. 
The scripture tells us in these first seven verses that David's anger, he got so angry. How in the world could anybody go and take this poor man's, the only one? Shredded. Then Nathan looked. At David, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 4, I mean verse 7, says four words. David, you are the man. What do you do What do you do when your life is shredded What do you do What do you do when your life is all over the place and it's shredded. I want you to hear me. All of us have been shredded by sin. And I've got some good news. It's not too late. I've got some good news for you. Not only is God a creator God, but our God is a God that can recreate us and make all things new. I've got some good news for you. Your life might be shredded. Your children's life might be shredded. Your next door neighbor's life might be shredded. But I've got some good news for you that 2,000 years ago, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven and his body was shredded so I might be healed. I've got some good news for you. It's not too late. I've got some good news for you. It's not over. I've got some good news for you. Your life might be splattered everywhere, but I've got a God and I serve a Jesus who's merciful. Let's read Psalms 51 again. And here's what I want you to do in that Psalms 51. 
I want you to write above Psalms 51, I want you to write one year. One year. Why are we writing one year? Because Psalms 51 is written one year after Nathan confronted David over his sin. One year after David was not in the place where he's supposed to be. One year after he should have had bouncing eyes and moving on, and he stared. One year after he sent the messengers and Nathan confronted him. One year after he heard those words, I am with child. One year after he murdered Bathsheba's husband. One year. Let's read it again. Do you now see why When David writes Psalms 51, he is not demanding justice. He is not demanding his rights. What is he doing? Let's read it again. Verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your love kindness, according to the multitudes of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. We got to answer this question. We only answer one question. What effect does sin have? Look at these three words again. I had you mark them. What are the effects that sin has? Let's define sin. It's defined in three words. The first word, it says, blot out my what? Transgressions. Number one, how does sin affect us? It defines us by, it defines us that sin is a transgression. What does that word transgression mean? Write this down. The word transgression means that you have crossed over the line. It is saying that God set a line and you have crossed over the line. David is saying, Lord, blot out my transgressions. Lord, blot out where I have stepped over the line. May I ask you a question? How many of you have ever stepped over the line? That word transgression means you've stepped over the line. Second word, I want you to write down the word iniquities. Look how this text of Scripture says, iniquities. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. That word iniquity simply means twisting or perverting. Taking something that is good and you twist it and you pervert it. That word iniquity, look how simple it is in the text of Scripture. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Wash me thoroughly from my twisting, from me perverting something that is good. God designed that intimate relationship between a husband and wife, and God said, this is good. He designed it good. What did David do? David took something that is good, and he twisted it, and he perverted it, and he used it in an ungodly way. How many of y'all have ever taken something that God designed as good and you've ever twisted it and perverted it into something bad? Have y'all ever done that? I have. I'm guilty. Third word we marked was the word sin. And cleanse me from my sin. We know that sin is falling short. We know that sin is that we have missed the mark. 
So you know what David is saying in these first three verses? One year after Nathan confronted David, he said, God have mercy on me. I crossed over the line. God have mercy upon me. I have twisted and perverted something that you designed to be good. God, have mercy upon me because I have fallen short. Here's what I want you to do this morning. Will you grab that blank sheet of paper that was in your worship guide? If you don't have a blank sheet of paper, I want you to grab some type of sheet of paper. Here's the invitation. I told you we're all going to be participants and not spectators. On that blank sheet of paper or sheet of paper that you got, please, it's not too late. Here's the invitation. Instead of the sin shredding you, why don't you allow Jesus to shred the sin? Let me make that statement again. I want you to hear this. Instead of the sin shredding you, why don't you let Jesus' death and the resurrection shred it. Uh, look at David's life is shredded. I don't care how good David could have been. He could not have put all this back together. I don't care what David did. He could not create a clean heart in him. I don't care what David could. His thinking could not have been changed by his own. I don't care what David could have accomplished. Nothing could have put his shredded life back together except God. So here's the invitation. I want you on that sheet of paper what sin needs to be shredded in your life. And none of us can be so arrogant to say, well, man, I, I really don't. I don't have in my life. Well, you're a liar. I'm telling you, you are. Would y'all not agree with me? Last time I checked, none of us have arrived. None of us have a flashing light above our head. That, this person has arrived. As a matter of fact, you probably struggle with something that's underneath the surface nobody even knows about. We're going to begin Psalm 
51 by saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Will you you take a moment, will you write that sin down? Will you write down that struggle? Just take a moment. It's just us. Write it down. What is it you struggle with? First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't want it to shred me. my Lord and Savior that's ready. So here's the invitation. We, we are not even going to sing today. The invitation is this. You'll, you'll notice all across this stage we've got shredders. music's going to play instead we're going to start Psalm 51 Lord have mercy on us